0: Well, it's about time you got here.
1: It's Manson Mitchell on the weekend with Gary Manson, Suzanne Mitchell, a double shot of good conversation with great guests to power up your day. Manson Mitchell, you're on the air. Yes, we are live and direct from our home in Sarasota, routing miraculously through Seattle, radio station to broadcast to you. And I have to give kudos to Suzanne Mitchell, who must be psychic. You pick these little drops, these little humorous asides at the start of the show. I do, and you, I do. you pick this one. You actually pick I that pick
2: one. I this one brand new out of the vault.
1: Well, I'm telling you, <laughs> that it's been been very interesting. By the way, hello, Nathan Miller. Tall Guy Nathan is there trying to make sense of it all. I couldn't agree more. I was just thinking to myself, wow, how appropriate it is to have this about (laughs) time. And here we are. It's about time we got
2: started with Manson Mitchell. And
1: just real quick. Ordinarily, it it takes Regis and Kathy Lee to experience these sorts of things. gell what's going on? I mean. But here we are doing this show now live. Just real quick uh, before we get going, want to say a happy
2: Mother's Day Eve to all the mothers out there and to those who take on
1: the role of one. And you see, you turn out something like this. (laughs) A couple (laughs) of products like us trying to deal with the radio world. And I have to say that this weekend, this is my third show. There are every one of them has had technical Technical glitches and miscommunications to the fault of no one. It's our humanness coming to the fore and that's okay. It's just been a wild, wacky weekend on radio. Yep. Both Friday
2: and Saturday.
1: It's a delight for us on this mother's day weekend to be talking to someone who not only had a great, close loving relationship with his mother and he turned out okay there, but uh, I think of my own mom Suzanne, you think of yours naturally, and just funny stories, things that came up, things that they used to love to do and things that they used to love to watch on TV, for example. And in the case of my mom and your mom, the TV show was? Well, they both liked Candid Camera. They liked Candid Camera, which we will be discussing with our honored guest of this hour, Hank Garrett, and also my family, and I think yours as well, never missed car 54 where are you sunday night oh we were watching us some car 54 hilariously Yep, and so much more to tell when you discuss the life and career of hank garrett from harlem hoodlum to hollywood heavyweight that's his memoir and uh, it's out in print now has been for a little while and what i find is that it is a trove of hollywood stories, his personal story, but he he doesn't hog the limelight. That's the thing about Hank. He will tell you about the great experiences he's had, and they are many, but he also reflects very kindly and compassionately, in some cases, on the people who struggle themselves to get to the top in Hollywood, and there are just so many instances where you see the great humanity of people who not only entertain us, but they show us their human side, including their foibles, and Hank Garrett delivers that, renders it beautifully in his book. So with that said, why don't we bring the wonderful Hank Garrett back? What is his number three? This is his third time on. And I want to
2: welcome you back to Manson Mitchell, Hank Garrett. We are so happy to, to delve more into your life and the wonderful stories of your life. Happy to have you with us.
0: Thank you. It's wonderful to be here. And I didn't want any to interfere. You guys sound like you're having such a wonderful time. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, let's just say this weekend it's been a time. <laughs>
0: it's been a time, and
2: <laughs> and you are the star today. We have been reading more in your memoir and just loving it, enjoying it, and we're just so amazed. And we're really happy that you wrote this Be, for several reasons, Hank. One is you are very candid about your life. It, it's not sugar-coated. You tell it like it is. You tell the interesting things that happened to you, the interesting things of Hollywood, and you lay it out in such a wonderful way that Gary and I just enjoy reading it, and we really encourage people who are interested in biographies to get yours, because it is a lot of fun.
0: Thank you. De- Deanna Marie, uh, my manager, and I uh, wrote, the, wrote the story together. Uh, she sat and just kept questioning me about the things that I truly had forgotten about or wanted to forget about. Uh, and it's, uh, it's interesting. Uh, it brought a lot of <laughs> memories back, some that I was not too thrilled to relive. But, yeah, uh, living on the streets uh, as a child, uh, my parents were immigrants from Russia. And they came to the United States and they became peddlers. Uh, with a pushcart, selling fruits and vegetables. And I was born quite late in life to them. My, now my dad was in his 50s, and my mom was in her mid to late 40s. And they just didn't have time for me. Uh, they were so busy trying to make a few dollars just to pay the rent and food. So I lived. I actually lived on the street. I slept in cardboard boxes, and uh, I became a street tough, living uh, with a, a bunch of other kids in the same terrible situation. And uh, I was always in trouble, fighting, and in. My mom, as I said, was selling fruits and vegetables, and her customer, I guess number one customer, was the mayor of Harlem. And that's where we live, in in Harlem, uh, in a fifth-floor slum walk-up. And uh, my mother was crying to the mayor. He came to me. I was standing on a street corner with my fellow hoodlums, Uh, smoking a cigarette. And this man, who was quite well-dressed, came up to me and slapped the cigarette out of my mouth. And I didn't know who he was, and I was going to throw a a punch at him. And two massive bodies came toward me, and they were his bodyguards. And he said, uh, your mom wants me to take you out. And I said, my mother wants to put a hit on me. So he said, no, 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 no. I'm taking you out this evening. Uh, and uh, you, you got a suit? And I said, yeah, I've got a suit. He said, wear your suit. And, but before you do, take a bath. And I just stared at him. And I just I said... Something in my head so clicked and said, listen to what he's saying. Got dressed. He took me at uh, 6 o'clock. He drove up, and we went to the Apollo Theater in Harlem. Uh, that was very famous African-American theater. And I looked at the marquee, and it said, starring Sammy Davis Jr., we went to see Sammy Davis Jr. But we didn't go into the theater. We went up the back way through the dressing rooms. And there were hundreds of people milling around, hoping to see Sammy Davis Jr. And we were taken right into his dressing room. And he said to uh, Sam, this is the kid I was telling you about. And he says, sit down. I gotta tell you, I was 12. And Sam said, so you're a tough guy, right? I said, yeah, I'm tough. He said, tough guys usually wind up with broken bones and scars, but you're way beyond that. And I just stared at him. He said, yeah, the way you're going, you're going to prison or you're going to die. I had a, a pistol in my pocket. I had a 25 caliber pistol in my pocket and it was getting heavier and heavier as he told me about these terrible pitfalls that i was facing and he said uh you're gonna you, i'm getting you a gig and you're gonna be a band boy i said i i'm not i don't not, i know nothing about music he said no no a band boy you're gonna put the charts out for the Diffie musicians and you're going to work with the Lucky Millender Orchestra. It's an all African-American band. And I, I did what they asked me to do. He said, when you finish the gig, the job, you put everything back. in its proper position. I did. And the band leader, Lucky Millender, came up to me after the show. And said you did, good, did a good job, man. And he reached in his pocket and he pulled out fifty dollars. And he said, here, get yourself some new kicks, shoes. My shoes were torn to shreds. I had a big rubber band holding the sole of my left shoe on. Next day, I went to Florsheim shoes and bought a pair of Florsheim shoes for fifteen dollars. And gave the 35 to my mom. More money than she had ever seen. And that's how it started for me. And Sammy Davis got me a job up in the Catskill Mountains. He said, I want you to watch the other comics. Because I was a, kind of funny on the street. I it was funny to save my own life. When I was surrounded by a, an opposing gang... I was able to joke my way out of it. Well, 24 years later, I was appearing at the Sands in Las Vegas. I was Tony Bennett's opening act for four years, thanks to Sammy Davis Jr. Well, opening night at the Sands, I'm on stage ringside. Frank Sinatra, Dean Martin... Peter Lawford and Sammy Davis Jr. Oh yeah, it's all coming back. After the show, everybody ran to so see Tony except for Sammy Davis Jr. He looked at me and said, Hey man, you are a funny cat. Where do I know you from? And said, Sam, I'm the kid that you told, gonna go to prison or die. He said, That's you? I said, Yeah. We hugged, we cried, the two of us standing there, sobbing. And that's how it all started for me.
2: Hank, that is where it started, and we started reading your biography last year. The first time that you were on was in November, and you're such a great raconteur that we were really happy to bring you back again in January for visit number two. This is now visit number three. And Because we covered some of those early years, Gary and I were up to reading about the movies you were in, about the television shows that you were in. That's why I mentioned at the outset, both of our mothers liked Candid Camera because you were in that. (laughs) But we, we told our listeners we were going to discuss... Three days of the Condor, and then some television as well, like Columbo. And so I think, um, Gary, if if it's good with oh, you, sure. let
1: let's. Where do you want to start? Well, this this wonderful book that Hank Garrett has written. There, uh, from Harlem hoodlum to Hollywood heavyweight. There, you get your H's all in there. <laughs> Very memorable title. And, this, and I tell the ladies and gentlemen listening to this now, and this is by way of paying you a compliment, Hank, if you're looking for specific parts that you want to read, you're the type of reader, the races ahead. Oh, I want to find out about how he worked with Peter Falk in Colombo. Oh, that three days of the condor, also known by the ways as tree days at the concord, but anyway, that's a story in itself there. <laughs> if you do that, this is a book that should come with stop signs. And when I say stop signs, I mean that you may be looking for one thing as I have several times in going through Hank's book and you find yourself stopping. Oh, oh, but I got to talk about this. Oh, but wait, no, we got to include that. Your life, Hank, has been so rich, so full, so challenging and yet so rewarding that I can go to any page of your memoir and find something that is worth talking about at length on the radio. And lately here I'm discovering just as of last night, in fact, your appearances on Candid Camera, which was a Sunday night staple, along with wonderful shows like The Ed Sullivan Show, Walt Disney's Wonderful World of Color, Bonanza. Yes, but you also had Candid Camera, where the unique idea was catching people in the act of being themselves, as the very suave Derwood Kirby used to say. And you were on Candid Camera a couple of times, there, yes. tell our listeners about how you got those gigs.
2: We probably can't oh. tell the one where the guy was swearing at you, but we <laughs> could at least tell
1: the other story. Yeah, you can always say blankety blank.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, first, I did, I was a bouncer in a drive in move, a, a restaurant, uh, and it was. It was so. Oh my God! I they said you're gonna just uh it mess with one of the customers. We want to see what the reaction is. So I, oh God! I I I was dressed. I had a two three day growth of beard. I had a scar. That ran from the top of my head down to my knee, right across my face, and I forgot who the waitress was, but she was very well known, and I was Jesse the bouncer. This is in a, a little drive-in, <laughs> so uh, she she sent her the stuff to the sky. Uh, and she put his food on a tray, and it was. He ordered soup. She brought out soup, and he said, uh, "Wait, you know, you know the, this is, this is the wrong order. I it's it's. I just ordered uh, be, eggs and bacon." And she said, "Don't you start with me? I gave you exactly what you wanted." He says, "Well, I don't." I come out. She says, "Jesse, this man's giving me a hard time." I said, "What's wrong?" The guy looks at me, and uh, he says, uh, not, "This is not." I said, "Wait a minute. You got what you ordered." And the fight, the all the silverware was riveted to the tray. He's eating a bowl of soup. He can't get the spoon because it's (laughs) written. I said, "Uh, how's the soup? And he picked up the bowl and he started sipping the soup. (laughs) And he said, the soup is wonderful, Jesse. Thank you. She takes the tray away, takes the bowl of soup out of his hand, puts it down and takes the whole thing away. Now, she brings him a sandwich, and there's a big bite taken out of the sandwich. And I look at him, and he says, uh, "There's," a, I said, you took a bite. I said, he said, I haven't. No, I didn't. And he saw the part that was bitten and ate the sandwich. Now, she brings him a bill. And she charges him seven fifty for a cup of coffee. Oh no. The guy puts the bill down, he's a little guy. He rolls up his sleeves and says, I'm not paying seven fifty for the coffee, Jesse. Let's go at it.
1: <laughs>
0: hold on, hold on. You're on candid camera. And he said, thank God you would have killed me.
1: (laughs) And the waitress you were working with was played by? Fanny Flagg. Fried Green Tomatoes. Yes.
0: Thank you so much. Yes, yes, yes.
1: That is Um, wonderful. Candid Camera was a wonder, uh, the brainchild of Alan Funt. And his co-host with Derwood Kirby, because you you needed to have this suave guy with the announcer's voice. And I always remembered him being such a cool cat. Interesting mix of personalities there as they hosted the show. And the concepts were, at the time, even now they're so impressive with all the wacky stuff you see. But it was almost unbelievable back in the 60s. They actually did a segment of an episode where They got people to believe, motorists, they got them to believe that the state of Delaware was closed for repairs.
0: You couldn't get in.
1: And a guy's being told by a a highway patrolman there that he can't enter Delaware. It's closed for repairs. I'm very sorry, sir. And the guy looks at him befuddled. He goes, my wife and kid is in there. (laughs) (laughs) And He wanted to know if he could go pick up his wife and kid in Delaware. (laughs) Oh my god! All that crazy oh, I, stuff, and I
0: also, I also played
1: Superman. <laughs> yes, you did, and that was there. And you had a phone booth with a forklift. Tell that story
0: exactly. And I get a guy. Oh my god! Like, and the guy was a, a mob guy. And I lift the, the booth up, and I'm standing there. And the guy just opened the door, looked down and said, hey, Superman, I'll give you three to put the boots back down. And I said, don't worry, you're you're in perfect hands. He opened his jacket and had a pistol sticking out of his waistband.
2: And And then and and he said some things. Yeah, and he said some things we can't say
1: on air. (laughs) But he wanted that booth put back. (laughs) That's great that you had those opportunities. The stories from Candid Camera are just legendary. Now that's something that if you want to go on eBay or Amazon and get those on DVD, you will be entertained for hours. It's just unbelievable. There was my mother's favorite segment was of, and I'm sure you'll remember this, Hank, a segment involving a real-life Pittsburgh traffic cop. And the way he gave traffic directions, he might as well have been a marching band leader. All he needed was a baton. (laughs) He had these elaborate... It was un- I think they may have, I can't swear to it, but I think they also featured him on 60 Minutes, but I know on Candid Camera, that traffic cop in Pittsburgh became a national sensation overnight.
0: He was incredible. The movements, oh my God. Oh, wow, wow, yes. Oh, what an
1: amazing show to watch. That was uh, you know, and we have so much more that we want to get on to, but it's a, a tribute to the genius of Alan Font, who was willing to, as we say these days, push the envelope. I don't know anybody else who was going to take that kind of risk because these are people caught in the act of being themselves. You don't know what's going to happen. Absolutely. Absolutely.
2: And it shows you how funny people are. I remember the episode with the talking mailbox. They actually stuck a a tiny person inside the mailbox. And when people went to mail letters, he was talking to them.
1: Yeah or the the little old lady who's sweeping the street and people would walk by and she'd smack them in the bottom with her broom. <laughs> <laughs> and then and then she turned around they they go obviously you know like what they turned around and she just keeps sweeping like it didn't happen. <laughs> oh. there it was one after the other with them. I love that show so much. That was my Sunday night treat before I had to go to bed and get up early to get on the bus to parochial school. Wow.
0: Well, Sullivan uh, wouldn't let me do his show because I was on Car 54.
1: (laughs) Oh, you're You're up against it? (laughs) Oh, there. And of course, you know, you didn't have. Uh, Xfinity you didn't have Comcast where you go you didn't have uh, the uh, recorder so that you could watch it the next day no you didn't even have you know VHS That that was in the distant future at that time you had to choose and if you were lucky what you missed during summer would be a rerun and you could watch it then
0: yes oh what a time what an incredible time
1: and oh. so we that's TV, Hank, but I've got to get this in. This is such an amazing story. All of them are in your book. There, when you got the call, you must have been thrilled to be able to work with none other than Robert Redford and to play probably the biggest heavy you ever got to play in a film.
0: I won an award. I won the New York Film Critics. And uh, later on, uh, and not not too long ago, I, my, my manager and I were were taken to Vegas, and I received an award for best fight scene in film ever. So, I, wow! And 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 the, the the chance to work with Robert Redford, Faye Dunaway, oh, things that have happened that that. Dear God, has been so kind to me. Uh, He sent me an angel, Sammy Davis Jr. Yes. And uh, I praise God every moment of my life.
2: Tell us a little bit about that fight scene, because something unexpected happened during that fight scene. How did it play out?
0: Oh, wow. Well, we're doing the fight scene, and uh, it it was a heavy fight scene. And at one point, uh, there was oil, mineral oil, all over the floor. That was, when Bob throws coffee at me, it was some kind of an acid diluted with mineral oil. Now, at one point, I said to Robert Redford, I said, Bob, don't come in low because I'm going to do a sweep. I'm just going to take you right over my leg and throw you. Well, he comes at me, and he slipped on the oil as I'm coming around, and my left elbow hits him full in the face and right in the nose. And I broke his nose. And we continue the fight scene. I didn't know I had heard him. And I look and there's blood, a droplet of blood coming out of his nose. And and I'm gonna tell Sidney Pollack, the, the director. And Redford cut me off. He said, let's continue. And I said, okay, are you okay? He said, I'm fine. So we continued. And earlier in the scene, he, Bob was in his dressing room. There's a close-up of my face where I get the uh, coffee thrown in my face. Redford comes out, and he looks at the coffee, and he sees smoke coming out of the coffee, out of the pot. And he said to Sidney, you know, Sydney, and the guy handling special effects, said, uh, oh no, that it doesn't burn. That that that's not just smoke from the combination of stuff that I've got in the coffee. He said, what is it? And he says, it's it's an it's an acid diluted with mineral oil and when it's mixed together it throws up a lot of smoke and it looks like hot coffee. And Redford said to the guy what happens if you get it in your eyes? And the entire set froze. Redford said to the director, Sydney, he said, "Said, can I throw the coffee? He said, You're not even in the scene. He said, I know, but I'll do it off camera. And Hank called me on a side, put his arm around my shoulder, and said Hank. I'm going to hit you waist high with that coffee. But I want you to react as though I had gotten it in your face. So, okay. Well, they find out later, had that solution gotten in my eye, it would have blinded me. Oh, wow. Now, how do I repay Robert Redford for his his awareness, for his thoughtfulness? Well, I go ahead and break his nose. (laughs) (laughs)
1: And he seemed to be, all things considered, uh, fairly okay (laughs) with it because didn't he tell you his nose had been broken several times?
0: Exactly. He said, don't worry about it, Hank. My nose has been broken so many times. And I said, well, then I just added to
1: your experience. (laughs) Yeah, there you go.
2: There's Uh, a couple of postscripts to this story that Gary and I found very interesting and that was, you You played a killer who was um, uh, pretending to be a, a male carrier, a postman. Yes. But, but people who saw the movie and then saw you on the street later didn't separate the actor from the character, did they? <laughs>
0: a woman punched me in the chest. She said, you tried to kill Robert Redford.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Which one must not do. (laughs) And you mentioned it to a cop there who was out there on the streets of New York and the cop said you were lucky she didn't have a knife.
0: Exactly. Exactly. And here I am, a martial artist, My I didn't block the, the punch. I thought she came over to say, oh, I would love you in Condor. Would you sign
1: my autograph, please. And I went, Oh my God. You know, Hank, that is a kind of backhanded compliment because I can remember a couple of other movies where that happened and I don't have a list of names right now, but as we're talking about it spontaneously, the man, the actor who has since passed on, who played the vicious sadistic prison guard in midnight express, He told the story of after the movie was such a big hit and his character was so notorious because he played it very well as you did your role, he said that he would go shopping and there would be people that would come up to him wanting to fight him. You think you're so So, tough, try taking me on. And he's having to explain patiently to these people, it was a movie, I'm an actor. I've had that happen a number of times.
0: Well, somebody said, you're a pretty tough guy, huh? I said, no. He said, I, I can take you. In fact, a very dear friend, a friend of mine who the world champ, six-time world champ kickboxer, Benny the Jet Orchidus. Some guy came to me and said, uh, I see you in movies, man. You a martial artist? I said, Yeah. Uh, In fact, I'm a grandmaster. So he said, I can kick you from here to kingdom come. I said, Oh. He said, Yeah, man, you think you're tough? And I said, No. And Benny the Jet came up. He saw the conversation, walked over, and said to the guy, Do you know that in real life he is a grandmaster? Has six black belts in six different martial art values. And the guy just stopped dead and said, hey, man, you know, I'm just kidding. See how tough you really are. And Benny said, you don't want to know how tough he is. Right. And the guy shrunk away. (laughs) Yeah, we get it all the time.
1: That's yeah. um, I want to go back, though, and, and I suppose this involves a certain tenderness in the telling Hank there. But some, here again, it was another stop sign where I was looking for one thing and I ooh, ooh, wait. No, I got to read this. And then I'm reading it to Suzanne just last night. There was a time in a way that really makes makes me think that that human sexuality must be pretty bizarre in certain places and among certain people. That's the setup for this, but it would, as, as best we can tell, it on the radio. Hank, you were doing your act, your your stand-up comedy act, and you got a note passed to you one time. This was years earlier, and this note was, you know, it intimated certain things about how attractive you were to a certain blonde in the audience, and you pocketed the note. And there you are, going back to doing oh. your act. What you remember that incident? What happened next?
0: Oh, a guy came up to me, and he said, uh, "My girlfriend passed you a note. Uh, give, give me the note." I said, I, "I honestly don't know what you're talking about. I had put I put the note in my pocket," and he said. Give me the note, man. I said, I'm sorry. I don't know what you're talking about. And as I turned to walk away, he grabbed the edge of my pocket and ripped open my jacket. It was my tuxedo. And he grabbed the note. And when he pulled, I grabbed his hand and I put a wrist lock on him. And he opened up his jacket and in his waistband was a pistol. He said, "As soon as you walk out, <coughs> excuse me. <coughs> I just want to take a sip of water."
1: Okay. There's more to the story, folks. Oh yeah, this, he this, said, I'm gonna this is incredible stuff. I'm going to put a bullet
0: in your head. And I, I just stood there, and, and the boss. <laughs> said, Hank, don't let him shoot you here. I don't need another violation. (laughs) (laughs) This is what the guy said. So I, wow. I really did not know what to do. And he sat outside in his car. And he was waiting for me. Well, I... I had the very good fortune of being a nephew, an adopted nephew of a gentleman in, in New York. And I called him and he said, where are you? I said, I'm in New Jersey. He said, where? And I told him the name of the club. And he was, he called another club in New Jersey, and he made the call to that, and he spoke to the owner, and they said, don't move. Stay exactly where you are. And I, I, absolutely. Now, the club is going to close, and I told the owner, I'm not moving. He said, okay, okay, okay. Is it going to involve the club? I said, no. A guy looked like King Kong and you had shaved all the hair off and put a suit on him. He walked in and he said, Where's the kid? <laughs> I said, The kid? He said, Yes. And I said, I must be the kid here. He said, Your uncle called. What's the problem? I told him, he said, stay here. Don't move. He walked outside, came back with the guy. He was holding him up by his coat. And the guy's toes barely touched the ground. That's how big this guy was. Wow. And he said, uh, okay, Hank. Hit him. I said, I I don't want to hit him. He said, Hank, hit him. If you don't hit him, I've got to hit him. Do you understand what I'm saying? And I said, yes. And I just shoved the guy. And he took the guy out and he said to him, if you ever come back, you will never be heard from again. Do you understand me? And the guy nodded his head and left. And I said, what's the story with this guy? This is a game they play. She sends a note. The guy that she sends the note to makes a date to see her afterwards. They go to a hotel. He is an ex-cop. He breaks in, and they beat the victim. They beat him up. And that's what they did. So it saved my life. Well, number one, I never would have gone to, on a date with her. And it's because they didn't go on a date, they became very angry because their game was over as far as I was concerned.
1: Boy. That brings back memories. Wow. Now, you talk about kinky sex. This is probably, what, in the nineteen, the mid-1960s? Yes, absolutely. It, it just yeah. fascinates me without putting too fine a point on it. But people get into some kinky stuff, man. Oh, I know.
0: I mean, this guy was kicked off the police of the department because of brutality.
1: So you met this this cool
0: lady, and they played this game.
1: Well, I guess we'll just say it takes all kinds. Suzanne's pointing at her envelope. She wants a crack at Hank Garrett here. So what did you want to bring up next? I think I know where you're going with this.
2: Well, where I was going was we, we mentioned to our listeners we'd be talking about both movies and television. We talked about Candid Camera. We talked about Three Days of the Condor. And before the end of the hour... I wanted to get in uh, one of a few TV shows and, uh, and, and talk about how you got onto Columbo with Peter Falk.
0: Oh, my. I worked with Peter in New York uh, when he had a different show. Uh, he had a show. Uh, uh, he was a kind of a down-and-out attorney, And it was called Trials of O'Brien. And I had gotten a call from my agent and said, uh, you want to pick up a quick day's work? He said, they pay well. What am I supposed to do? Okay, you're a guy working and you walk into an office and you say, uh, you're going to take out the furniture, because he owes money on alimony. I didn't know anything about Peter Falk. So I, I go to the studio, and they said, uh, you know, uh, uh, he's, uh, and they didn't mention Peter Falk's name. And they said, okay, you, you grab the furniture, and the guy comes in, and he says to you, hey, where are you going with my furniture? And you say, "Well, I'm taking their furniture out. If you would have paid uh, your alimony, uh, you, uh, we wouldn't be repossessing the furniture." Okay, I show up the studio. They put me in a jumpsuit, and uh, okay, uh, you, this is your scene, Hank. Okay, you walk grab that. Uh, you walk into the office. You grab a chair, and you he uh, he says to you. Hey, where you going with my furniture? I said, okay. Action. I grabbed the chair and I hear, hey, uh, where are you going with my furniture? And I turned around and I went, and I dropped the chair and I said, oh my God, it's Peter Falk.
1: <laughs> Cut. And I, and I,
0: I hear, <laughs> and the director says, uh, "Hank, uh, yes, we know it's Peter Falk. <laughs> uh, don't don't mention his name. It just <laughs> if you pay him for your alimony." And I said, "Oh my God! Yeah, but that's Peter Falk." <laughs> Uh, And Peter, afterwards, he and I went and shot pool together at a place called McGurr's. This was in New York. So now, years later, I'm going to play his boss on the show. And Peter comes in to me and he looks and says, uh, I I know that you don't want an impression of me in your act. Are you still doing that? And I said, Peter, I I don't do impressions anymore. And he said, have I lost favor with you? Is that what you're trying to say? (laughs) (laughs) I said, no, Peter, I'm putting it right back in my act.
1: And so we became friends. Oh, wow. And by the way, that's a spot-on impersonation. Yes. That's excellent. (laughs) Really good. Really, Um, really good. You know, a very lovable man. Columbo is one of those all-time, I mean, top-tier characters that... I'm curious to know, did he ever tell you any part of how he created that character? No, no, no.
0: Uh. Jess was a sweet guy, fun to be with, and uh, no, we never discussed that. That,
1: that is wow.
2: his famous line. Just, just one more thing.
1: Right, <laughs> I don't want to bother you, and then he proceeds <laughs> to bother it. Yeah. Just, just, one more thing. I,
0: I don't mean to disturb you. <laughs>
1: You know, that was a fascinating show in many ways, but I think one of the salient characteristics that caused Columbo to stand apart from other procedural crime dramas was the fact that you know who did it. In the opening scene, you see the murder, and then you watch this clockwork precision, which is seemingly crazy and circuitous, but inevitably, Columbo solves the murder, and it's usually some small detail that was missed, and you watch this elaborate unfolding Oh, absolutely. And and he was such
0: a sweetheart. And there were a couple of times uh, when I was going to talk to Peter on, on set and they pushed me aside. And I said, I'm going to, he said, don't stand too close to Peter. Yeah. I said, why? He said, because he'll have, Everything that he's holding in his hand all over your clothes. I just said that's why that raincoat is so stained because Peter was a slob. He had cigarette burns (laughs) all over the coat.
1: Oh my God. I'm curious in the episodes you were in, you know, numerous episodes who were the standout villains, and were some of them the kind of actors that vied for the chance to be a villain when, in fact, their usual roles were good guys?
0: Yes, absolutely. Uh, And that was because of Peter. Peter made the selections. Uh, Peter actually, most of the shows were directed by Peter. The director would make the, the the immediate suggestion, and Peter would say, "All right, just move a little closer, right Yeah, so so you and I can be eye to eye. I uh, don't don't do it from across the room. No, nah, it doesn't work. And uh, it it he was right on. Oh, I I loved him and, and truly missed him." He had both male
2: and female villains, too. Some of his killers oh, were women. And so that was a kind of a breakthrough because women yeah. were always victims. They were never killers. But there were female <laughs> killers on Colombo, which was interesting.
1: And he even managed to turn a, a Dick Van Dyke into a villain. That's pretty hard to do.
0: Oh, I know. <laughs> uh. Dick was an amazing, amazing
1: man. Wow.
0: One of the most most talented people I'd ever seen.
1: And we've got about three, two and a half, three minutes. I did want to say something about all the people you worked with. You mentioned Sidney Pollack. Great director and a great actor. That's a rarity. But in terms of directors, you you were so fortunate, as you well understand, to work with... Two under, they would never be underrated. They were too brilliant. They're but unassuming and understated gentlemen, one in TV and one in the movies. And I think of Nat Hyken in TV and in the oh. movies, the great director, Sidney Lumet. You worked around some very, very ingenious people. I, God was very good.
0: God was always good. I never in life thought I would do anything in my life other than live on the street and be a street tough. I wound up working with some of the greatest people in the business, and I still marvel at that. And I tell Deanna Marie there are times and. I said, oh, my God, I had the great opportunity of working with this person. And she looks at me like, yes, but you don't understand you deserve to. I I don't know if I ever deserve to work with these incredible, amazing people. Just all I do is say that God is good. You
2: know, Hank, I, I think that is one of the reasons we appreciate your biography so much.
1: Which is called?
2: Which from, is called From, from Harlem Hollywood,
1: Hoodlum to Hollywood, Hollywood Heavyweight. Heavyweight. You got it in stereo there, Hank. Yeah.
0: Oh, yes. He, and the, pro, the proceeds go to the Disabled American Veterans
1: very uh, good. god bless you well, well i hope you have a wonderful mother's day with all sweet wonderful remembrances of your mom as suzanne and i think of our own mothers let's do this again sometime because i want to get more your,
2: stories more stories <laughs> and your
1: your assessment your evaluation of the great people that you work with which is to say your appreciation of them thank you hank Garrett. we'll have you on again thank anytime you. you want we'll roll out the red carpet
0: thank you so much and Thank you and God bless.
1: Stay tuned for
2: Jupiter Rising coming up next.
1: Have a wonderful Mother's Day celebration, everyone, wherever you are.